0: My name is Devonna Grace Kaysen, and this is your Where Grace Found Hope podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about loving people. Love them where they are, not where you want them to be. And one of those people is you. Learning how and recognizing where the struggle really is. As a little girl, I can remember... I was singing as soon as I was talking. My heart overflowed with love and my feelings were hurt constantly because most people that I encountered, they seemed everything but happy. And as a child, we don't get why, which is such a blessing because our faith is so great. We believe everything is possible. But as life goes on, we begin to be more exposed to how harsh life can be. It changes us before we know it And we struggle until we come to the realization that we cannot do it alone, that we need help. From that, there's a specific memory that God reminded me that vividly expressed what I needed at this very moment. I found a picture of myself, and I was about five or six years old, the smile on my face while holding a big fish that my daddy had caught, and I was posing for a picture. As I look at her face, I see the hope in her eyes. And even now as I'm telling you about it, I can picture my mom and daddy. What joy that must have been to them as well. The faith of a child, no brokenness whatsoever is seen in my face. It was a moment that helped that little girl begin to rise in me again. She said, hey, I'm still here. Just buried under all that junk. God even gave me a poem to go with that picture. So I'd like to encourage you to take a picture of yourself and add this text of my poem to it and then make it a screensaver on your phone to remind you so you will learn to believe it again. I see the hope in her eyes as only a child could see. When I'm scared or overwhelmed, I just take a look back at this little girl. She is me. Up until this point, the devil made me focus on all my pain. I couldn't even remember any good. And a lot of that was because of the trauma that I lived in. And when you experience trauma of any kind, your brain kind of goes into protection mode. (sighs) They get disorganized, our, our thoughts do, and while the body goes in survival mode and shuts down, the reasoning and language structures of the brain. But good news. Our brains are ever-changing and recovery is possible learning to understand and accept what you have endured is the door to how your healing can begin if the brain registers overwhelming trauma then it can essentially block a memory called disassociation or detachment the brain will attempt to protect itself to heal no matter how long it takes so on that note jesus only brings you to those moments when you can absolutely handle them and not a moment sooner. Long before I ever got out of the abusive situation, I felt God put in my heart that one day I was going to write a book. That's where He gave me where grace found hope. As of now, I'm many years from the abuse, and I've been remarried now almost 11 years. But this journey was just that, a journey. Um, One of the most recent healings was in a woman's group therapy in 2017. Now it's 2023. So this podcast has been in the works for many years. I had to do in stages. Although I processed individual parts of the abuse on its own, there was a part that was left till later that God knew I was not ready for until a few years ago. He knew he wanted me in the group therapy for that very moment. But why, you probably asked. I had truly no idea the depth of the stages of PTSD or what was about to come. You're trying to do more than just exist, but that's all I was doing. I was trying to function in a world I was very naive to. I could not even trust my own feelings, not to mention trying my best at being a mama. I love my boys so much, but I'll be honest, I was so broken. I don't know how much of a mama they actually had because I lived in fear and cried all the time from the age of 16 to 32. A big part of my healing was loving on other people as a hairstylist. The joy it gave me, making others smile, it was like a light bulb going off that reminded me, yes, you do have worth and purpose. And there are many occasions over the past 20 years that people have sat in my chair and gave me a word from God. Every seed that was planted may have not bloomed yet, But others have. And one of those gifts is encouraging others. It came so natural to me. Although I did not understand the significance of how or why. Although deep within, I could feel a yearning inside of me that was so much greater than me. I love helping others to see the fullness of how amazing they are. Even when at times I would refuse to see that in myself. And basically because of the manipulation and brainwashing. When I first had escaped the physical situation of the abuse, eventually I came to reject myself, replaying the same thoughts in my mind that I was told every day, like, you're no good, you're trash, you came from trash. All the while, I kept looking for those to lift out of their own pit. Seems strange, huh? But you know, that is what God created me to be in my mother's womb, and I answered that call. Not before I struggled through walking through life blindly. It was in serving others and loving on them during all the years that I was abused that helped me become who I am today. Ultimately, I came to know this to be the very tool that God was going to use to combat the enemy of my soul. a step back in 2009. February 3rd, 2009, I got a call that my mother had had a heart attack. Prior to that day, on Saturday, I had just got off work, and I wanted to go see my mom. And I was told that I had priorities around our house to go take care of before I go anywhere. And I had been working all day, and I was very tired. But I knew what that meant. It meant if I didn't do what I was told, there would be ramifications. So out of fear, I didn't go. And I never saw my mom again. She died three days later, unexpectedly, of a massive heart attack at 54 years old. But something broke in me. I thought I was dying. Within a few days, of her death, I began wanting to fight for myself. I didn't care if he killed me at that point. You know, that's what I always lived in fear. He was gonna, you know, kill my family or he was gonna do certain things to me, very detailed. And um, I lived in such a fear that, but when I was gonna go see her and out of fear I didn't go, and three days later she's gone and I never get that chance again, I didn't care if he killed me. He took something away I could never give back. So I began fighting for myself. And that's when I first, it's like her death literally saved my life. And God helped me to understand that it was her time. Everybody's appointed a time. Here comes the growing pains, though. The next few years after that, there were some good moments. But I didn't even realize it because it was just mostly I was away from Him. And although it was a cyclic routine, the time away gave my inner self a chance to get stronger. And as I learned a little bit more about who I was through God's eyes... You know, other people notice changes in us before we do. And I get, began to speak out at times where normally I'd be frozen in fear like a deer in headlights. So, whether it was work related or regarding hearing my kids be spoken to in a bad way, then of course there was fear right after. My career was going great, and with that brought more confidence. Although it was a blind walk, I look back and I could see God's grace time after time protecting me from many things. I'm so grateful for the friends that I began to make and that I saw on a regular basis. And at work, and that people would just constantly speak life into me. And I did not fully understand the extent of it until many years later. That I'm out of the abuse and beginning to function in a normal setting. But before I could even get there, there would be years of deprogramming. And getting to know myself all over again. What I did not count on was the years that I would spend torturing myself in my mind. Replaying the records of his words over and over. You know what God showed me? I had been trained to think wrong thoughts. And that it was normal to say negative things over in my head. I had to make a full break. And all that entailed to truly have a chance to ever have peace. You will see through many events in my life that God's hands were all over me and He is there with you too. I shouldn't be here today. I shouldn't be speaking to you through this podcast. But in um, the next few things I'm going to share with you, they're go- I'm going to have to relive some very dark moments. But I'm choosing to do that so that you can be set free from abuse that you're currently in now. I want you to see that it is possible to get beauty from ashes, to be thrown in the fire and come out not smelling of smoke. Miracles happen, and I'm one of them. Hey, this is Ivana Grace Kaysen, and you're listening to Where Grace Found Hope. Today, I want to step back and actually get really personal with you. Let's figure out where you are, because the first step to getting better is recognizing that something's broken. So today, I'm going to talk to you about what is domestic violence, what types of things What resources are available for victims? Um, And why do victims sometimes don't leave or return? First, let's, let's stop at the basics. Okay. Domestic violence is a pattern, of course, of controlling behavior that can include physical abuse, emotional or psychological abuse, sexual abuse, Or financial abuse using money and financial tools to exert control and some abusers are able to exert complete control over a victim without ever using violence but only subtle threats of violence all types of those abuses are very devastating to anyone and to the victims domestic violence is pervasive life-threatening crime And it affects millions of individuals across the United States. Regardless of age, economic status, race, gender, religion, abilities, or education levels. Of course, you know, some high-profile cases of domestic violence, you know, can attract headlines. But there's lots of people, thousands of people who experience it every day. They come from all walks of life. You know, abusive partners make it very difficult for victims to escape relationships. And sadly, many survivors suffer from abuse for decades. I was one of those. It's important for survivors to know that the abuse is not their fault. And you're not alone. Help is available to those are experiencing domestic violence. It's one of the scariest things to first recognize and accept to yourself, yes I'm in an abusive relationship. Some resources for victims, they have different opportunities. Um, Survivors have many options from obtaining a protection order, staying in a shelter, or having support groups, which I did, um, making anonymous calls to a local domestic violence shelter or hotline. There is hope for you, and you are not alone. And I know it may feel like you are right now, but you're not. There are hundreds of shelters across the United States. They will provide you with safety and counseling, even legal help, because that's one of the things that the abuser, you know, cripples you to believe that there's no way out. I mean, you believe anything they say. And you just feel stuck and you're like a deer in headlights. And if you have a family member who is a victim of abuse, there is support for you as well. I know it's very hard and I know it had to be very hard on my family for all those years. And they can't do anything about it. Because if they stepped in, sometimes it would make it even worse on me. (sighs) If you're in danger, though, you can call a local hotline, the the National Domestic Violence Hotline, or if it's safe to do so, call 911. Okay, so the question you hear all the time from people who've not lived it and don't understand is, why do victims sometimes return or stay with abusers? They just can't understand it. The question better to ask is, why does the abuser choose to abuse? The deck is stacked against victims as they navigate safety. The abusive partners work very hard to keep victims trapped in the relationship. They may try to isolate the victim from friends and family. Reducing the many of, of people and places that they have a where the survivor can go to, to get support. They basically will make alienation between friends so they feel like they, they can't call anybody when something happens. There is a real fear of death. Or more abuse if they leave. As abusers may perceive this act of of independence as a threat, losing power that they worked so hard to gain, they may choose to escalate the violence. And you know what? On average, three women die at the hands of a current or former intimate partner every day. I cannot believe that I live to tell this story. I should be a statistic. Through gaslighting, abusive partners cause victims to feel like that they are responsible for the abuse, like it's their fault. A lot of people don't know what gaslighting is, but it's a form of emotional abuse that the abuser will use to confuse you and shift blame onto you. This often causes the victim to doubt their sanity, and feel like they are responsible for the abuse and therefore able to stop it. Abuse takes an emotional and physical toll over time, which can translate to additional health issues that make leaving even more difficult. That's exactly what I lived. I developed an autoimmune condition at 19 years old. I also had shingles that year. Shingles is something that you normally get when you're very much older is a stress-induced thing that comes from having chickenpox when you were younger but it normally it only happens to elderly people but that was the severity of the abuse i was in my body was wreaking havoc it i developed an, a thyroid condition and your thyroid it was responsible for running the whole body and I just barely existed. Well, oftentimes, survivors will report that they want the abuse to end, not the relationship. And the survivor may stay with or return to the abusive partner because they believe that the abuser promises to change. It is a cycle. It's not real. You are believing them to be who you want them to be, not who they're showing you they are. There's no way to really spot abuser in a crowd, unless you've been abused yourself, and you can just feel it. But most abusers share some common characteristics. So there are some subtle warning signs. One, They insist on moving quickly into the relationship. They can be very charming, and it may seem too good to be true. They insist that you stop participating in your preferred leisure activities, or spending time with family and friends. They are extremely jealous and controlling. And... (laughs) A big thing, they do not take responsibility for their actions, and they blame others for everything that goes wrong. They will criticize you, your appearance, and make you feel, like, really down on yourself. Um, They will constantly put you down with their words and actions. And also, when they do try to pretend to be nice their words and actions won't match it's important for you to remember that domestic violence is first and foremost a pattern of power control and any one of these behaviors may not be indicated of abuse on its own until it's considered as part of a pattern of behavior listen to yourself If you feel red flags if you don't feel safe something doesn't feel right that's probably the case they will spend a lot of time making you second-guess yourself all right is it is it possible for abuses to change well yes but they must first make the choice to change their behavior. They're not going to do it just because you leave them. That behavior is gaslighting and control to keep the cycle going. If they really want to get help, they'll get help on their own because they will recognize and hold their self accountable. Um, sometimes the abusive partner, may stop one form of abuse and continue another part of it for an example they may stop physically abusing you but they continue to emotionally or sexually or financially abuse you are men victims of domestic violence yes men can be victims of domestic violence Today and in the podcast, I'm going to share a really dark moment with you, and i want to share it for the purpose of, I want you to know you're not alone. I myself am a victim of domestic violence, as you already know, but I'm going to be very detailed about something. I want you to know this because I want you to know it's wrong and it's not normal. I was sexually abused the first time by my first husband that was my abuser in 2002. It continued and in 2003 I developed more health issues. By April of 2004 I had to have surgery and I had to have a hysterectomy at 27 years old with. Also, a fistula repaired, and they had to do what is called a finkstraplasty to actually put me back together so I could actually go to the bathroom again. I was sodomized. I had to be cut three layers deep and sewn up inside and out in addition to the finkstraplasty to put the part of my body back together. This is really hard to share. It's not as hard as it was when I did the first time. I couldn't even say it out of my mouth. But I've been on this journey of this part of my healing for a while. And last year, I got to tell my story. And a district attorney and a victim's advocate listened to me for three hours. They saw the proof, the medical proof of the operative report, what was done to me. The only reason why it is not prosecuted is because the statute of limitations are gone. If they weren't, that person will be in jail right now, no matter how long it's been. And I myself am going to work towards and lobby to to help fight for changing the statute of limitations. Because everyone who's been in an abusive relationship and is sexually abused by their partner, it takes them a long time to get away. And by the time that they get the courage to get away, the statute of Limitations is gone. Recently, a statute of Limitations regarding sodomy was changed. And But there are different types of sodomy the particular thing that was done to me did not fall in this particular category. That is the only reason why they couldn't move forward. But they know my story now. And I was able to share it. And I'm so grateful that I could. And they want me to continue sharing my story. And the district attorney told me in 30-something years... But he's never saw someone survive what I did and be who I am today and how I lift people up. And he was so proud of me. And he said, do not beat yourself up because you didn't get here before the statue of limitations was gone. One thing I'm grateful for is that I'm alive. Because if I had done it back then, I may not be alive today. That is one particular thing I was threatened with. Is that if he ever went to jail for what he done, that he would get out and he would find me, and nobody would ever find me again. So I understand if you're living in fear today, but I promise you, there is help for you. There is proof. And I will be there every step of the way to do anything I can to advocate for you so you know that you don't deserve to be abused. Until next time, I love you all. I thank you for listening and allowing me to share my story. I pray that you would share it with someone else and stand up for those who are abused. Before I close today, I would like to pray over you. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for every listener that's listening. How do you know what their needs are? You know if they're abused or if they're not abused. You know if they feel hopeless. God, I ask you to speak life into them right now. Give them hope that they haven't seen in a while. I ask that you just lead God and direct them. Fill their hearts with peace. And help them learn to look to you to know who they are. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.